everybody. Welcome to Beast Theory. Woohoo! Today's podcast, we're going to continue talking about my mission. Okay, what's about? Today, we're going to talk about my second area. So, at the last episode, we ended because me and my companion, uh, well, I confessed that we went and saw a movie on my mission, which is like a big no-no. They broke the rules. So, we both, I think we both got transferred out. Why trivial now? Like, all of the things that I used to get in trouble for, I'm like... (laughs) Why was that a big deal? Like you know? kids saying, but don't say, yeah, but or like throwing a snowball at school or like, you know, like the stuff that it was like, Oh, you went to the principal's office. I'm like, I wasn't even a bad kid. <laughs> True. <laughs> like, and the stuff that I did, it was just like for fun and not had, didn't have an evil reason behind it. You know what I mean? Totally. But I can see why as an adult, you want to make sure your kids are doing good things so and i think like as a missionary i'm like man what was the worst thing that i did like listen to some music i shouldn't did you yeah same with companion oh you know we're like oh, all this. the bad things happen with that guy because <laughs> the rules at the time were like well you can listen to whatever you know brings the spirit you're like i feel the spirit so i'm like listening to lincoln might Park. not be the right one <laughs> but i feel the spirit <laughs> <laughs> so or like sleeping in oh no i slept until seven instead of six thirty. like when you think about like what you just said, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. But I think the reason why we make it out to be a bigger deal than it would otherwise be is just the fact that like we've committed to this higher standard yeah. of expectation. We agreed to that. Yeah. We promised we would do that and we didn't. Mm-hmm. And so there's consequences for that. Yeah. And so to the and rest you, of the when world. When you go out, you like... You make all those promises and you're really excited and like the people around you are excited and it's like it only truly works really well like a well-oiled machine if everybody's doing their part Mm -hmm. and like so I can see why it would upset people around you if you're not doing what you said you were going to do because then that means consequences for them sometimes and yeah. That's like you, you know, when you're like, I just feel like I should stop eating sugar, Mm -hmm. right? Like. You've made this commitment to yourself, this mm-hmm. promise to not eat sugars. And then when you eat a piece of cake or a mm-hmm. little cookie or something, and you're like, ah, and you like are racked with this guilt. guilt. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. Like to anyone else in the world, they're like, that's so dumb. You just yeah. had a cookie. You know, to people looking at missionaries, that's so dumb. All you did was sleep in or go see a movie. Like mm-hmm. big deal. It wasn't even a bad movie. Yeah. You know, but to people that have made a commitment and a promise to, you know, to not do something. Well, and I think that that actually brings up a really good point because, and I don't know if I should talk about this person, but I'll just, I'll not say their name, but they were somebody who was having, they didn't want to drink and they were, um, all of you guys would probably know who I'm talking about, but that's why I don't want to (laughs) say they were like, not, um, they weren't an alcoholic, but they didn't want to drink and they wanted to stop drinking and they couldn't stop drinking. Like they were mm. addicted to it, but they didn't, but they weren't an alcoholic. Right. And they're, but they're like, I know this is bad for me and I don't want to do it, but I love it so much, but I'm really having a hard time. So he like went to all these people, like I need to, you know, have addiction recovery. And they're like, what is it for? And he's like, alcohol. And they're like, okay, so you're drunk. And he's like, no. <laughs> and they're like, well, then why are you here? And he's like, cause I, I want to stop. Even though he wasn't addicted. And but like everybody made it so trivial that he couldn't stop because right. it was like he didn't get the help that he wanted. They or weren't needed. taking it as seriously as he wanted to because take it. Because for them, that wasn't a big deal. It wasn't as extreme. And actually, interesting. when I was, um, when I very, very first stopped eating sugar, oh, it was like six years ago. Yeah, it was six years ago in August. So a little bit less than six years. Like when I finally made that decision, my family thought I was crazy almost <laughs> like that's an exaggeration a little bit but it felt like they thought I was crazy because every single time I said I'm not having sugar they would go oh, why mm-hmm. and I'm like like why is it that big of a deal just leave me alone let me try to have a like a good <laughs> habit you know like let me try to do this why do you have to come back with such a why you know anyways well because they're like they don't want to be feeling guilty about eating sugar when they're around you yeah. And so by you not eating sugar, it's making them think, maybe I shouldn't eat sugar. Should I feel guilty for not eating, for eating and sugar? And instead, like, they would make me feel guilty for not eating sugar. Like, if they didn't want right. to feel guilty for 
eating sugar, it's like they couldn't not say anything. They had to say something like defending themselves. Even though I wasn't attacking them. All I was doing was changing my habit in front of them. (laughs) So it made it very difficult because it felt like I, I hit a wall every single time I had to explain myself. Right. And it was very frustrating. It is frustrating. And now I'm like really, oh my goodness. It's been almost six years and I am like really struggling not having sugar now. It's been a constant struggle all six years. Yeah, it has. But there were times where it was easier. It felt easier than like I would get into a groove. I don't feel like I'm in a groove right now. And that makes me very like, like I'm teetering on the edge and I don't like it. I think it's a lot about just <sighs> making mindset. a commitment and mindset, right? Like yeah. deciding I'm not going to do it. Yep. And so, and that's, so after, you know, that experience that I had on my mission and I got transferred, I, I was moved to South Jordan. I had a new companion. And uh, at that point I was like full on gung-ho, like. I'm not going to do it anymore. No more. Mistake. You know, I'm not going to do anything else bad. Um, you know, and, and I didn't, we didn't listen to bad music. I didn't go see another movie. Like all the things that I did that I shouldn't have done, I didn't do anymore. But mostly because the, the potential that like was gone, was removed. So it's not like, it's not like I had the option to listen to bad music because I didn't have any, you know, Mm. the opportunity to play a video game during lunch break was gone because it wasn't, I didn't have it. So it was mostly the the influence that your companion was having having on you at the time like all the it's like if somebody was living with me that loved sugar and had it in front of me all the time i would have a really hard time Mm -hmm. versus somebody who's like never buying sugar right it's like okay it's nice when (sighs) and you weren't like going out to instigate doing those things it was just there already so it was a lot harder to resist right and my companion who I was with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, was like, it's not bad. It's okay. We're You're still like, good missionaries. Uh, it wears on <laughs> you after a while. Yeah. And so I had a new companion, uh, and he was a really hard worker, really, really good guy um, in South Jordan. So we were actually living in a member's basement at this place. And uh, <clears throat> trying to think about like memorable things about that area. Like it was a really... It, it was during the winter mm-hmm. that I was here. Okay, so is this your first winter in Utah? This and was my first. what did you think? <laughs> I do remember. Because he's a Florida boy. <laughs> yeah. And so. was used to that. Did you even, I mean, you saw snow before that. A couple times, yeah. Like, did you go to Vermont or something? Yeah, I had gone on a snowboarding trip with the Boy Scouts when I was in Young Men's. Do you remember the first time you ever saw snow? Um, and was it like, wow, it's like in the movies. Yeah, I was a kid. I'm trying to remember, like, I think my family took a trip or something and we saw snow and it was just weird. <laughs> and for me, it was very weird going to Florida for the first time. And especially during Christmas, I was so, so homesick. Because there's like, no snow. <laughs> there was like only in the rich area, some people bought fake snow. I remember seeing it. But in Windermere, no way. by the temple, I don't remember there was that. one house. I was like, they have fake snow. We were driving around. You probably weren't even with me. When you but dis- dis- I was like, I what? Get- <laughs> <laughs> fake snow? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's weird. <laughs> and it was just, just looked like their yard was covered in snow. <laughs> well, I do know this. I didn't have like a jacket. I had like my missionary clothes, like my white shirt and tie. I had my like suit coat that I would wear. It was just like for church, very formal, but I didn't have like anything warm to keep me warm. And so I remember uh, me and my companion went on a P-Day and a member went with a us. A P-Day, explain what that is. Do, they, do we already explain that? I think I explained it last Preparation one. day. It's just, just the day where one they day of the don't week. work hard and they go and go shopping and relax and... Yeah, one day a week where we got laundry. to do all of our, you know... Like you said, shopping, laundry, that kind of stuff. And so this day, I remember what took us to a mall and we went looking for a big jacket and I think I found one and I can't remember if he bought, if he bought it for me or not. That was a type, type of thing that happened a lot on my mission is members would buy us stuff. Um, or oh, yeah. my mom and dad might have sent me like a hundred bucks or something to buy a jacket. So I bought like this big ski jacket. And in fact, I actually have it today. Go get it. 
No. Oh, why not? I don't really want to. But I still have the jacket, like, <laughs> to this day. And you see, he still uses it every winter. It was a good jacket. It's, you it's bought a, a very good, good one. In fact, when I met you, I thought, wow, he buys nice jackets. <laughs> he buys nice coats. And for some reason in my family, I felt like I never had a good coat. Yeah. Like, I was always cold. I bought a really, I'm pretty sure it was like a ski jacket. Like, and by the time I was old enough to buy my own coat, I only wanted cute ones to impress the boys. Which is not necessarily the most practical. Nope. <laughs> so, I learned very quickly, like, on my mission, because we didn't ride bikes and I didn't have a car in this area, we were walking a lot, at least when there was snow on the ground, that if I wasn't warm, like within the first 60 seconds of leaving our apartment, if I wasn't still warm, that I was going to get very cold. Mm. Like if I could even feel the cold, I learned I got to go put on more clothes mm -hmm. because I'm going to be out here for a couple of hours walking mm -hmm. with no relief. I better dang sure have layers and layers so that I am toasty warm or I will get bitterly cold. There's a picture of Michael. In the middle of winter with flip-flops, I think flip-flops, and board shorts. So, like, surfing shorts or whatever. Just and a t-shirt. And a t-shirt. Using a broom to sweep the, the snow off of the porch where he was living. I was just like, this is the epitome of Michael. Hey, that photo was staged just No, for... it wasn't. It was totally staged. No. <laughs> he, if like, he can get away <laughs> with going out in the middle of winter just wearing shorts and and flip-flops, he will. Uh, that is true. So, to that extent, it was not staged. And you probably didn't have a shovel, so I bet that wasn't staged too. All I, I know you just is, posed is what you're saying. I did pose. Okay. <laughs> but it was staged in that I wasn't already outside just walking around in my t-shirt and shorts. I was like, Elder, look, there's a whole bunch of snow outside. Let's go get this picture. And he's like, okay. And so he helped me go get the picture. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. And we ran back inside because it was okay. crazy. But you still did sweep like most of the walkway because I saw the picture. It was just, I should find this picture so you guys can see it. just for the picture. If you watch on YouTube. You're not going to find the picture. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want to. I'm not telling you you can't. I'm just saying I know you That's and you're true. not going to do I'm probably it. not going to take the time to go find that picture. Just imagine it in your head. It's worth it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So this is a good area. Um, we taught a whole bunch of people. Um, man, like my mind is going blank now. Skip to the next most interesting part of your mission that you can think of. Like, there's good stories in all the areas. Well, here's the thing. It's your life. But, like, I have to say, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know if you guys have noticed. This is going to sound really rude. And I'm giving <sighs> you a warning oh, right now. So I'm already offended. Don't be offended. Here's my warning uh, to you that I it's going to I'm sound rude. For, for some reason in my mind, whenever people talk about their missions, I zone out. And I yawn and i think it's boring but i realized the reason why because i was like why am i being so rude i was thinking about it in the shower the other day <laughs> and i think it's because there's no romance oh you want to talk about romance <laughs> like I, that's just interesting to all me. right so like thinking of two years where there's no romantic interest okay. like going on i'm like boring all right <laughs> Okay, all right. I love relationships and I love like, I don't know. That's just interesting to me. So I'm just being honest. It's not interesting to me when you talk about your mission. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, well then fine. I'll give you some romance. Okay. I was not prepared for this. What? What are you going to talk about? Well, there was a girl in this area that oh, fell in love with me. Really? <laughs> okay, now it's getting interesting. <laughs> I'm putting my yawns on the shelf. <laughs> Save them for later. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So on P Day, we could like visit families. Okay. And hang out with people that we'd met from old areas or whatever. I didn't even say it. You don't even know. That's true. I have no idea. No. Oh. That didn't oh, happen until oh, oh, the end. Oh, I know. I know. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see. What is their name? I'm not going to tell you their name, but uh, there was a family I hung out with oh, a ton. No. Yeah. Oh! remember there's okay. a family that we hung out with a whole bunch and they're a really cool family they're really mm -hmm. really nice they loved us missionaries and we come over and visit them and it was 
it was nice having someone, a family that we could go to that was excited to see you every yeah. time you came by. It's like you. It's like when you're homesick, you need a family to go to. Exactly. Yeah. And so here was a family, and they had. And by the way, during this time, I just have to stop. Okay. Only recently have has our church changed the rules to make it so that missionaries can call home every week. We can video chat every week. Every, video chat every week. Where Before, economically possible, yeah, right? Like yeah. in some third world country. But like it used to be when he was on his mission that it was snail mail. So just sending letters in the mail. Email. Well, and email. I would do email on P-Day. You never sent regular mail? Like almost never. <laughs> okay, so email. And um, you got to call home on Mother's Day and Christmas. Not even Father's Day. Nope. Which just Mother's weird. Day and just Christmas. Mother's Day and Christmas. And, and that was it. That was, that was it. it. So like there was definitely a longing or like a need to be around family, I think. And homesickness was a big Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. That's right. Sing it where everybody knows your name. So when you're a missionary and you're constantly knocking on doors and getting rejected, yeah. it's nice sometimes on P-Day when you're like, this is my one day to not think about work. <laughs> to be able to just go and hang out with yeah. some cool family yeah. that make you feel loved and appreciated and yeah. welcome. like es we, Especially we loved. Would, we would teach families <laughs> and, and they would love us. And we would become like part of their family. Like they, yeah. they loved us so much. And so we was like, we were really close to these people that we would teach. There's a special place in my heart for those people that are able to just invite somebody into their home and treat them like family. Like that's amazing. There's still a certain level of professionalism as a missionary that you have to keep mm -hmm. when you're at these families that you teach mm -hmm. because you don't want them to see you slacking off or goofing off because it kind of you know, diminishes the value of what it is that you're doing. But when you're hanging out with members of the church and there's just a cool family and it's like, they get it. it. It's kind of that safe place. There was this family and they had a daughter that was a teenager among other children. They had actually a son who was like exactly my age, who was less active in the church. Yeah. So it was kind of this like justification. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, let's. And we had some really good like gospel conversations because of our visits. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say I was just going you know, to hang out and flirt with all the teenage girls or whatever. Yeah. But there would be some people that might accuse me of doing that. Mm. But my companions didn't argue. Yeah. Like they were cool with it too. And we were both appreciated and accepted by the whole family. Yeah. So there you go. And the girl, one of the girls, I could tell she liked me. How could you tell? What did you do? You know, the look, the, in your, the look in your Spill eyes. Spill <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Okay. So I'm not going to say any names. I <sighs> well, you haven't said any names and it's fine. They could not even listen to this. You don't know. The point is, they're really, really good people. Yeah. And um, I didn't cross any lines. They didn't cross any lines. Um, break any rules. We didn't break any rules. It was just nice to be wanted and appreciated in a family setting loved <laughs> there's no scandal here sorry dear well is it just me or, or okay wasn't that didn't that same girl send home a letter with you at the end of my mission yeah were you not in that same area anymore no i was long gone how did she get that letter to you i kept in touch how do you keep in touch? And actually, so this is like spoiler alert at the very <laughs> end of my mission. Uh, <clears throat> I did something I shouldn't do. Well, but it was like, you were about to go home. What are they going to do? Send me home. <laughs> <laughs> in my last like week or two, I think I said that way too often. What are they going to do? Send me home. <laughs> and, and so it wasn't like anything horrible. Yeah. Um, but like, I remember, I think what I did was I was giving a talk in a church meeting at a, at a on a Sunday church meeting mm -hmm. in one of the wards that I was serving in at the very, very end of my mission. And I was like, this is kind of my like end of mission talk. You know, this will be kind of fun. So I invited a whole bunch of people oh. 
from old areas. I even invited my aunt and uncle. Like, oh yeah, because they were in in Utah. In Utah. Yeah. And so it's like I definitely not something I would have done earlier in my mission. Yeah. Because I would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. But when it's my last Sunday and I'm leaving You're in like, three I days, see all these people. I'm like, what are they going to do? Send me home? <laughs> so honestly, what it, what is there really a rule against that? I don't think there should be a rule against that. Was there a rule against that? Well, you're not supposed to like get in touch with family or whatever, see family. Oh but. yeah, but that was like your aunt and uncle, right? I don't know. And I don't know. It's just and you're not. And the reason why? Why is the reason why you're not supposed to get in touch with family? Why? Because mm-hmm. uh, you get chunky and want to go home. Probably. I never got chunky, or I never got homesick. Yeah. I got chunky at the end of my mission, which is like, ah, I just so want to ex- go home. I'm so excited. But I did extend my mission for a month. That's cool. But that's like, that was in my last area. Mm-hmm. We're skipping ahead all the way to the very end right now. It's interesting. You're like ready for it to be over, <laughs> huh? Just skip ahead to the end. <laughs> Tell me all the romantic parts and skip ahead to the end. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess we don't have to go too slow through my mission. We don't have to. I think it's, Talk about it's everything. one of those things. It's the same as, you know, you have so much love for your child. You could easily film a one hour video of them picking up a toy and putting it down and giggling. But for someone else watching it, you have to edit out <laughs> like most of it to make it interesting. That's what I think it's like. So if I had to condense all two years into the, the next, you know, eight, eight minutes, what are the highlights of my yeah. mission? Um, I think... There's definitely a couple of families that I taught that I think have a really special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason is because these were like intellectual, these were adults. A lot of the kid, people that we taught on my mission were nine-year-old kids that hadn't gotten baptized when yeah. they were eight. Oh, that's interesting. And so because they were no longer eight years old, they Dad. were technically a convert baptism oh. and therefore had to be I taught by the missionaries. So... Um, when you're eight, as a as a kid in the church, you just get baptized, you get interviewed by the bishop, it's like no big deal. But if you turn nine and you didn't get baptized, you have to have the missionary lessons. Yeah. And so I think there was probably at least 20, 25, nine-year-olds. But there were a few families that we taught where it was actually like the whole family was not a member of the church. Yeah. Most of the adults that we taught were like part member where one of the spouses was a member of the church probably less active in the church and wanting to get back into church. And the spouse that they married was not a member of the church. Mm. Um, we had a lot of that too. Um, but there was one family that I taught when I was living in Draper where it was a part member family situation. The mom was a member and the husband was not a member at all. And he had some really good questions and he was probably, you know, maybe almost 40, you know, when we taught him and, he just had some really good questions. and I think I met them. Every, you did. We went to and their ceiling. In my mind, I was thinking 45, almost 50. Maybe. But but the thing is, back then I was a much younger person, so probably <laughs> like 30, <laughs> 39. But they're really nice. They're really, really sweet people. And every single lesson, every single appointment, he had like really good questions and it wasn't like a typical cookie cutter where we just taught the lessons and then they get baptized. It was like we came back over and over and over again, helping resolve every single question he had and concerns that he had. And like every lesson was like super spiritual, uh, very uplifting and powerful experience. And then eventually he's like, yeah, I think I'm ready to get baptized. And it was very thoughtful. I have to write something down. Good experience. You're giving me ideas of what I want to talk about in some of these future podcasts because... You know, there's things with our religion that I think um, a I lot like of people are like unsure about. Sure. Um, like polygamy or or like the history of our church and stuff like that. Okay. And I, ha- I feel like as we've been researching that, I've gotten some really good insights, insights into <laughs> it. So I want to talk about church history. Okay. Cool. We're just writing that down. Maybe we can film that. That'd next. be fun. I like talking about that kind of stuff. I actually love talking about religious things. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not something we typically want to force on anybody or that we like talk about a lot just because I feel like our example sets a really good, I don't know, it, it sh- it's like 
better than words sometimes, you know? For sure. Um, but because this is where we get to talk our own life theories. theories, like I want, I also want to talk about the things we've been learning recently and, you know, especially when it comes to church history, because that, that is a stumbling block for a lot of people that have either left the church or don't want to join the church because of things that have happened in the past with the church. So anyways, that's something I want to talk about. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. I think, you know, having those discussions where we would read scriptures together and answer questions together, those are some of the best experiences. And so if maybe we can tackle some of those topics in a really fun way, it's almost like having a lesson, Yeah, you know, to be able to resolve some concerns or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and that's without, again, not forcing anything on anybody. And you don't have to listen if you don't want to. But I really enjoy, like, some of my most fond Mm -hmm. moments as a teenager or as an adult have been when we've had the circumstance and the opportunity to, like, sit down with a lot of people who are all just wanting to talk religion. Mm And to talk in depth and to talk about things that have like inspired them recently in our scriptures or things like that. Like it's such a fulfilling and uplifting experience. And that's not something that is easily captured on video. Like it's not because it's not a super high edit or it's not interesting. Like it's not like it's not that type of a experience and so it's a lot harder to appreciate i think when you're not in person with someone but that's why it's like well a podcast is a good place so we should talk about that i'd love to have a conversation like i love those types of conversations you know um there was another there's a couple of really sad things too there was another guy that i taught in the same area in draper um and we, every lesson was like super like we'd ta- answer all his questions we'd help him understand things and it was a very good lesson um and but we would teach him we taught him like almost every week sometimes multiple times a week and uh he was ready to get baptized like he had a testimony uh, at least this is what he told us anyway um and but he wouldn't he wouldn't get baptized and he said it's because he knew that it would be too hard for his dad to see Um, and so he didn't want to break his dad's heart or upset his dad. Um, and this is a grown man married with a kid, (laughs) but he would never, he, he didn't want to do it until his dad died, uh, because he didn't want to upset his father. And so he never did get baptized. And that was really sad, um, to see somebody who needed the church, you know, and could see the value in it, but. This is really interesting. That brings up a really good topic because I feel like there are a lot of things that would help each of us, but we don't do them because of what other people will think. Right. And and like it's not good because it's not, it's like keeping us chained. It's like keeping us down. Um, And who knows, maybe his dad would have accepted it and been like, wow, you're stronger than me. You know, who knows? Like, but because of those things, those preconceived notions of what we think other people will say or do, that holds us back. You know? I I do think a lot of times people make excuses too. You know, maybe their surface reason is because they don't want to upset a family member, but in, in all reality, there's a deeper issue that, that comes down to not maybe not believing it hmm. or having reservations about some one subject or another, but mm-hmm. not wanting to address it. And then what it comes right down to is, are we honest with ourselves and the people around us? Like to, to a fault, like, and not to a fault, but I mean, like <sighs> sometimes like for instance, right now, I'm really having a hard time not eating sugar. Like it's, it's really, I'm struggling. I'm just really struggling with it right now. And I'm struggling with, I guess, figuring out what the deep root cause of it is. Cause mm. I know there is one. I know there's probably multiple things. And like just the other day, I was like so discouraged and I was asking myself, what's the real problem? What am I so afraid of? 
what am I afraid of? <laughs> because there's fear in here somewhere and I don't know what it is. Like, why am I afraid? Like, what am I afraid of? Ugh. <sighs> and where am I lying to myself? You know, like, am I lying to myself that this would be better to be able to use as a crutch sugar, you know, than, than to sacrifice for a little while and be all right? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know either. This is another topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to tell another experience from my mission. I think I am going to just kind of summarize the rest of my mission in this podcast, which okay. is fine. I mean, I'm sure that some of the other stories. You could talk all day, every day about his mission. I'm sure there he will be it. other stories that come out later because they are applicable to the mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I kept the journal every day. So the record's there. Um, but in one area, <coughs> I had a new missionary. So halfway through my mission, remember I mentioned I was a junior companion the whole first half of my mission. Well, my mission president swapped out. My new mission president came in and I remember his first meeting with me or one of the first, he said, why, are, why have you never been in a position of leadership? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> why? I don't know. I'm a pretty great missionary, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's really stupid. I guess all the other leaders were dumb not to promote me to a leadership position. That's kind of my thought. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned or not that what I had done in my first area, watching a movie and that kind of stuff. I don't know if I brought it up. But ultimately, he's like, that needs to change. And so I was yeah. like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for more. Yeah. Um, and so he made me a trainer. Okay. To a brand new missionary. And uh, in my first area, or it, I was in an area... And uh, I'd just gotten done being with one of my favorite companions, Elder Robison. Oh, yeah. He had uh, no cartilage in his nose. Right. I remember that. I met him once and he was like, <laughs> pushing on his nose. Yeah, kind of. But he was just a cool guy. Like, yeah. so easy to get along with. Some of my companions were so easy to get along with. Other ones were really challenging to get yeah. along with. He was like, literally flawless companionship. We were together six weeks. And I got a brand new missionary. Uh, Elder Brady, and he was from California, just brand new out. Elder Beach. No. <laughs> that was Elder Steward. Oh. <laughs> he was my companion in South Jordan. That's, we're not going to talk about Not tell that story. <laughs> anyway, so I was with Elder Brady, and uh, and he, he um, was fine in Draper in our first area together, and I trained him. Everything was good. And then both of us got transferred together, which like never happens, to a new area. We whitewashed together to a new area. Mm. Usually when a whitewash happens, they'll take one missionary from over here and another missionary from over here and put them together in a brand new area. That's what they call a whitewash. Well, a whitewash is where nobody has previous experience. Neither one of the campaigns have previous experience in that area. Exactly. So, but me and my companion stayed together from Draper to Taylorsville and we whitewashed together in that area. Um, and we were literally in an apartment building and literally right across the hall was another Spanish missionary companionship. And, uh, I think that was the root of the problem or it was a big part of the problem because Elder Brady wanted to hang out and goof off with one of these Spanish missionaries and who that Spanish missionary was also really, really struggling at the time. And he also kind of wanted to just goof off and be lazy. And I remember so many times during lunch break, um, you know, during dinner or whatever, him and that elder getting together and just, just messing around, you know, um, even with their like church, like missionary uniform name tag and they're out there goofing off, act mean, acting like around? idiots. Uh, I think one of the times they were like pushing each other around in a shopping cart up, oh. up and down like the sidewalks of this apartment complex, just like. Stupid things. If you saw missionaries doing, you're like, you guys aren't missionaries. You're what just are you doing? punk teenage kids. Like, yeah. that's not being a good representative of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and I think my biggest frustration was he just didn't want to work. Yeah. And uh, it, it progressively got worse and worse and worse. And near the end of that companionship, I reached out to my, I think my district leader, or my zone leader. And I said, I can't get him to, to leave the apartment. He just didn't even want to leave. He just the apartment. didn't want to leave. 
Wow. Um, and he, he, you know, he had an interesting story. He said before his mission, he had done a lot of bad things. He'd done a whole bunch of drugs. Um, and, you know, he was just kind of wasting away his life. And he decided if he didn't go on a mission, he was going to regret it. And so he quit doing all the bad things. He cleaned up his life. He repented. He went on on his mission. And here he is on his mission with an attitude of, well, I'm here. I did it. I did I'm it. Done. I can say I did it. I won't regret that yeah. because at least I did it. But he, his heart wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. And that was really challenging for me because, you know, here I am trying to be better. This is my first opportunity to show that I can be a senior companion mm-hmm. and a good missionary leader. Mm-hmm. And my companion is just like being drugged the whole way. And just like not wanting to do anything. And I'm like, ah, what do I do? You know, is, is there anything I even can do? That was really hard. Because he wouldn't, he didn't want to do companionship study. Um, and so I think ultimately, I think we had a like emergency. I don't, I don't think we had an emergency transfer, but I know I left that area. Um, and immediately after that area, I was, um, I think that's when I went to, uh, my last area after that was when I went to West Jordan. So you had how many different companions on your mission? I had two in my first area, two in my second area. After South how, Jordan, how long? South Jordan, I was there for four and a half months. Is it about four and a half months for Kearns each? Kearns was four and a half months. South Jordan was four and a half months. And then I went to Taylorsville and I was with two mission, two companions there for four and a half months. And then I went to Draper and I was there for only three months with two companions. And then we went to Taylorsville together, same companion though. And then I left Taylorsville. That's when I went to West Jordan and then in West Jordan, I had two companions. So I think I had 10, okay. 10 total. Um, what do you think it like, how did it help you for the rest of your life? What, what did you learn from having companions? Just, you know, how to have hard conversations about things. I think, um, how to live with somebody. I think I changed a lot. I think that one of the biggest changes that I had on my mission was I shifted from being a very selfish, you know, afraid teenager, where it was like, you know, as a teenager and as a kid, you're like, everything's all about you, right? Like, if it didn't serve me, I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a missionary, it's like all day, every day for two years, you know, here I am, trying to help other people learn about Jesus Christ and try to make changes in their life to overcome addiction and sin and repent and, you know, understand faith in Christ and change their life and ultimately hopefully get them on the path that leads them back to Heavenly Father and and a good, happy life. And so I'm like serving these people with their best interests in mind the whole time to where by the end of my mission, I'm like a lot more selfless, I think. A lot more worried about. I met you after your mission. A lot more worried about (laughs) other people and caring about other people and their like well-being than just myself all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I can forget myself and just work and serve others. It doesn't bother me, and it's. I think I don't even see that change happening. Um, But now I look at my kids and I'm like. That's exactly how I was as a kid. Mm-hmm, yeah. But that is not at all how I am today. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting because I can really pinpoint my mission being the primary thing that took me from being childish mm-hmm. and made me into a responsible, you know, hardworking adult. Yeah. Because that was the I pivot. Like that. How was your last companion? <laughs> Elder Searle. <laughs> I mean, should you put his name in here? No one knows what his first name is. <laughs> he was my most challenging companion. I've heard so many stories. I was with him, him forever. Well, how long? Oh, man. I but was, it was the same amount of time as your other ones, but it felt like forever. No, it was the longest. Really? Yeah, it was like seven months. <gasps> I'm pretty sure I was That's with him horrible. for like four transfers. That is so... So, were you yeah. like every transfer, like, please, 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 and then it didn't happen? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and it's funny, too, because I remember when they first, you know, announced, because I had known him before, you know, here I am, it, I'm in the last... Did you hear things about him? 
Like, you, did you hear I never things heard about bad things. Um, other companions before you got them as a companion? No, okay. not generally. I was never in the popular groups of the missionary <laughs> mission field. I think at the end of my mission, I knew everybody and everybody was younger than me at that point. Yeah. And so I was like this old dog. And I think just being a senior missionary, like an older missionary, people just, other elders just respect you. Yeah. And look up to you. And, you know, there was nothing I was afraid of. There was nothing I couldn't teach. Um, I had I had gotten to a point where people couldn't critique my, you know, role plays because I was already perfect and flawless. In wow, my, you're in amazing. And I would actively like, tell <laughs> so me what I can do I to change you. and I can't. Like nobody could identify <laughs> anything because they're all like, man, he's way better than me. I can't say anything. Um, anyway, so Elder Cyril and I, we'd had a few interactions before because he was maybe a companion to somebody else that was in my in my zone or my district. Um, so we'd hung out during zone activities or P days, maybe played some board games or whatever. And there's a lot of people that I can get along with really, really well. As long as I'm not with them 24 mm-hmm. seven, but as soon as you put you put someone with you 24 seven, it really becomes like a I don't know if I can even stand this person. Like I can handle them every now and then, but definitely not 24 seven. How do you feel about me? I love being around you 24 <laughs> seven. I'm not just saying answer. that. Here's your twenty dollars. I really do. <laughs> I wouldn't opt in for this program. <laughs> I didn't get to choose that companion. <laughs> Oh, man. It was really challenging. So, he was... um, What? Okay, just describe his personality. He was awkward. Okay. Around people. He... It didn't come naturally to him to do things So, very socially awkward. Okay. Um, And he was also kind of getting on at the... Near the tail end of his mission. Like, he wasn't much younger in the mission field than I was. Um, and he I, never was senior companion, right? I don't think he ever was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he ever was. But that's and but it's not no surprise, you know. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. If you get to know him, um, you know, we had fun times. Like I'm, I'm able to get along with most people. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm pretty easygoing. Um, but there were definitely times, it, it was interesting, sometimes I'd go on exchanges where I would get split off with another missionary, like uh, maybe my district leader, and then my companion would go with the other district leader's companion or whatever, and we kind of, they go on splits or exchanges. Um, it gives you a chance to, you know, look at each other's areas, look at each other's teaching styles, maybe make some critiques so we can improve. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime I would be with a different missionary in my area, and we were teaching someone, they would usually pull me aside and be like, Elder Beach, what's the deal with Elder Searle? Like, <laughs> what, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm not the only one, you know? You're I'll like, just, okay, I'm not just a jerk. Yeah, I'm not just a jerk who's, you know, rude to my companion. Like, he actually had some real social issues that other people were picking up on. Um, and uh, I remember we were, you know, eating dinner at this family and they had a little kid who was like playing on the floor with a toy. And I remember he was like trying to, you know, you want to build rapport with people. And I think he was trying to play with this kid um, to kind of build rapport with this family. And he's like taking away the kid's toy and kind of laughing about it. And like, you know. With the kid crying? And the kid was like bothered by it, you know. And you, and you got to know like if the kid's bothered, well, don't do that. Okay, fine. Some kids might think that's funny. Other kids don't. This kid didn't. He couldn't tell the difference. Mm. And so he was laughing about this kid being bothered by and it. And here you are like, I'm sorry. And I was just apologizing like. Apologizing for him. Elder, stop. Please. Like, just. Please. You're, oh. Can't you see that this is so. Like, you're bothering this family because you're torturing their child right in front of them. And he's just like. You know, just stuff like that. But it was consistent stuff. It happened over and over and over again uh, to the point where it was like, man, this is really obnoxious. And I remember trying to talk to him about it and he had a hard time hearing any critique like that. Um, He just didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to be made to feel dumb or made to feel, you know, awkward. Uh, So I asked my mission president if there was a chance that uh, I could get a different companion. He's like... Elder Beach, 
can't remember what he said. <laughs> but it was something along the lines of like, he's good for you. Ugh. Or you're good for him. Like it's, it's, it's good that good you guys match. are compa- it's a good match. I think, match make make I think if there was any chance of me getting a different companion, I sealed my fate when I asked that question. Because oh. it became one of a, oh, you're having a trouble with your companion, eh? Work Perfect. I'm going to keep you together for the remainder of your mission because you, obviously... Is that your biggest regret? Would you have changed uh, that? No. Ask that question? You know, looking back, it's like... Pish posh, I can just forget about it. Yeah. But in the moment, it was like... Devastating. Oh, I can't stand this guy. Like, he was so hard to be around. And so many times we'd be teaching people or we'd be we'd be tracking knocking doors and we'd be talking to people and he would say the most... The things that just were like, why did you say that? Like why, rub people the wrong way. Yeah. Like, why did you say it like that? Here's the craziest thing about it all, though. Looking back now, it's all said and done. Out of all my companionships, of out of my entire mission, I was the most successful with when I was with him. Your mission companion, your mission president was right. In terms of like baptism, like missionary success, like teaching people and having Maybe baptisms. Maybe they like listened to you better because he was there. Like you know how like sometimes it's easy to dismiss people if there's two people that are speaking i don't you know what i mean like if there's somebody who's being crazy you kind of ignore the crazy person and listen to the sane person more versus if they were just two sane people (laughs) i don't know if it's because i was a better missionary at the end of my mission and so i was able to teach better or if it was because through that trial Heavenly Father blessed us with mm. more success mm. and more baptisms because Never of it. That. Even though here I am with this person who's like really hard to get along with and really socially awkward. And yet we had a tremendous success in terms of baptisms and, you know, bringing people into the church. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but I'm just really grateful that I didn't see a huge dip at the end of my mission. And, but, but I was you ended on a high note. I ended on a high note. I ended sprinting to the very end yeah um and that was trying to get away from your companion well you know what (laughs) in all honesty i extended my mission i got to push out my mission deadline for an entire month so if you were really having that hard of a time you wouldn't have extended i was just loving it i was loving being a missionary this is like my favorite thing and it didn't matter that my companion wasn't perfect Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a missionary as long as possible. See, I'm grateful for that companion because it He prepared Michael, me for you. Yep, for all the worst <laughs> in me, he's ready for it. He's uh, handled, he's done it before. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I do think that's what a mission teaches you in a lot of ways. Like how to live when somebody's at their best and how to live with somebody when they're at their worst. And... How to serve others instead of mm-hmm. being selfish. Yeah. Like how to how to just learn to be happy regardless. Mm-hmm. How to progress forward even when it's hard. You know, mm-hmm. like even when it's not the most ideal circumstance. And the thing is, at every in every marriage at any at any given point there's highs and lows and struggles and peaks and valleys and you know it's always going to be in part of that you know so it's just cool that your mission i really think your mission like prepared you for our marriage (laughs) in so many ways (laughs) i think so i definitely Uh, think so and there's one other experience i want to share before we wrap up that's one of the most memorable to me um, at one point in my mission, right around, I think I was in Draper. So it was about halfway through my mission. Maybe I was in South Jordan right before I got sent to Draper. Um, I, I actually went from South Jordan to Taylorsville and then to Draper. So no, yeah, this was in Draper. I was teaching a kid uh, in a member's home. And this guy was, he, he was probably our age, probably 20. I say kid, he was 20. Uh, and he was dating this girl. And uh, they were really serious. But he came from a family of polygamists. Hmm. And when you're a polygamist uh, in Utah and you want to get baptized into the church, 
in order to even get baptized, you have to have like an interview with an apostle, which is like crazy. Uh, and you have to go through that. It's like this whole big ordeal. That's crazy only because like there's like bishops who are right above, who are like in charge of a ward and every member is like in a ward. And there's like 300 members And then members above a bishop, ward. there's like a stake president. And then above that, there's like a... Area president or a district president. And then above that, there's like... And then the apostles. apostles. Um, there's only 12 apostles in the whole church. And so... Or 70. Uh, there's the 70. Right. And then... The apostles. Area 70 and then the apostles. So anyway, the apostles are a pretty big deal. Uh, and there's only 12 in the whole church, in the whole world. At any given point. Uh-huh. And so to meet with one of them is like pretty cool. I mean, most members of the church go their whole life and never even meet one apostle. Mm-hmm. And so f- to be able to get interviewed by an apostle. Anyway, so we were teaching this boy, uh, this guy, and uh, we'd been teaching him for a couple weeks and he still wasn't quite sure. And so we did what we call a pray now, which is where everybody in the group kneels down on the floor and we each take turns saying a prayer, asking if the church is true, uh, if they should get baptized or not. And so we all knelt down and we each took turns saying a prayer um, to ask for the spirit to confirm the truth. And uh, at the end of the experience, everyone was just kind of quiet and, you know, he felt really good about it and ultimately decided that he wanted to progress and do what it took to become baptized. Well, um, shortly after that event, I was transferred from the area and um, I kind of forgot about, typically when I would get transferred, I would you know, forget about all those people that I'd been teaching and focus on my new area and let whoever was taking over after I left, you know, do their job. I typically didn't get super attached to the people that I kept in contact with them after I left. Um, You know, while I was in the area, they were very special to me. But after I left, you know, I needed to focus on this new area. And so I kind of forgot about them a little bit. Well, near the end of my mission... I got a message from somebody saying, oh, did you ever teach so-and-so? And And I was like, yeah, I did. I taught him a few, quite a bit, actually. And they were like, oh, he's getting baptized. And I'm like, no way, that's so awesome. And they're like, yeah, you should come. So, because our mission was so small, if a member or if somebody in an old area was getting baptized, typically we could make arrangements to be able to attend their baptism. So, I got to go uh, leave my area and go to his baptism and it was like the room was packed. Like there was oh, tons of people. That like gives me chills. Yeah. And so I'm just like one of all these people in this room kind of sitting in the back. He probably doesn't even remember me. You know, I was just one of the many, many missionaries that got a chance to teach him. Um, and his girlfriend got up during uh, the baptism, you know, meeting. And she said she kind of was sharing her testimony of the church and her, you know, the experience that she got because she got to be a part of her boyfriend's being taught by the missionaries and, and journey to getting baptized. And she shared an experience that really, really touched her of a time when about a year back, she had sat down with the missionaries and everybody knelt down did the pray now. and did the pray now. And she shared that was like, a really, really powerful moment in her life that really, really touched her and that she could never forget. Mm. And it was cool because she was talking to all these people and sharing the story. And I had been there during that. Yeah. And she didn't even remember me personally. Yeah. But she remembered that experience and that's what mattered. Mm -hmm. Like to be able to leave that impression on someone and, and honestly, I can't take credit because it was the spirit that really made an instrument. I was just an instrument, you know, in God's hands, changing people's lives. Just being that voice uh, of of the spirit, you know, that vessel. Because Heavenly Father wants to give His gospel to everyone. He wants to share share His message of hope and happiness, and He needs missionaries. He needs people to be that voice for Him. To, to send the message to the world. And so I was just his mouthpiece and got to see some miracles happen that changed people's lives. And it wasn't me. I was just the 
instrument. And so anyway, that was one of my favorite experiences. Definitely mm-hmm. life-changing. Other miracles? There was actually a miracle, something really cool. I forgot about this, but I did want to share this. Um, when I was in my last area, I was in West Jordan. Uh, I was teaching a family of a mom and all of her daughters. And one of the oldest daughter, the oldest daughter, she had a boyfriend. And he was kind of just a a punk. He was, you know, deadbeat or whatever. Uh, you know, get drunk or whatever with his buddies. Well, while we were teaching them, one day I got a phone call from the oldest daughter and she said, hey, my boyfriend, he got really, really drunk and he passed out and he vomited and inhaled some of the vomit and now he's in the intensive care at the hospital and I think he needs a blessing. Can you, you know, missionaries, can you come meet us at the hospital and give him a blessing? Because I'm really worried about him recovering. And he'd been unconscious this whole time and it'd been quite a while now. So we're like, yeah, of course, we'll come. And so we got ready to go and we we went to the hospital. And the minute that we walked into the room, he, uh, he became conscious for the first time. Just, just uh, us walking into the room. And I remember she was like shocked by that. She was like, you guys, you know, you missionaries, all you did was walk into the room and now he's no longer unconscious. Like it just, that experience meant a lot to her. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that was a miracle. And so we gave him a blessing and, you know, I know he made a full recovery or whatever, but that really touched her. Just, um, you know, miracles of healing can happen, mm-hmm. you know, and God's power is uh, infinite. And so for us to be able to just walk into the room and have someone become conscious for the first time after some something like that, I think that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um, to be able to be a part of that experience. Um, and like I said, it's not my power, it's God's power. But, you know, as members of this church and as missionaries, we have authority from God to do his work and to be his, his servants and his workers. And so with that comes his power. Mm-hmm. And so it was not uncommon to see those types of things happen all the time. I think it's interesting uh, because I know a lot of people just on the world in in the world right now think that you know there's not god's power that is here anymore like i know people believe a lot of people will believe that that there's not it's it used to be here at one point miracles used to happen maybe when jesus was here but now it doesn't happen but you know what's interesting about that is there's been so many miracles that have happened in my life there's been so many miracles that I've seen happen, you know, in my parents' lives. And, like, he's real. And things, like, and I don't, I don't believe in putting a limit on God and saying, well, he used to be able to, but he can't anymore. Why? Why can't he? And what gives us the authority to say he can't? Like, I don't think that's accurate and and if you do believe there's a god then why would you think that you know more than him like he knows he knows everything and he has the ability and the power to do anything Mm -hmm. so like i just i don't get how you know we can put limiting beliefs on him, like project that on him and say, no, God can't do that or he can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of it is like subconscious even because like as I pray, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't ask for that. And I'm like, wait, why can't I ask for that? The thing is like I could ask for anything. I mm-hmm. can ask for anything. I think what, you know, here's a good example. When I was a little kid. I wanted a bike really bad. And I was like, I want a bike. I'm going to pray for a bike. And I know if I have faith, I'm going to get a bike. So I prayed for a bike. 
And lo and behold, a few days later, there was a bike at a yard sale for like a dollar. And I asked my mom for a dollar and I got a bike. And I was like, I got a bike! It's a miracle! And it was! And like, I just think that he wants us to be happy. I truly believe that. And I think that sometimes we think that our wants and desires are less than his godliness. Like, oh, he doesn't, he wouldn't care about that because that's like nothing compared to, you know, problems he might have with all the people on the earth today or whatever, you know? But the thing is, if he truly loves us, which I believe he does, and as I've just been a mother, I look at like my kids and I think they care about these silly little things, right? And because they care about them, I care about them because I want them to be happy and I want them to be able to feel fulfilled in their life. And, you know, like any little thing, it's like, I think it's difficult for us to decide what's trivial and what's not. And that's why we need to not put limits on God because for all we know, this, this thing that we put a tag on and say it's trivial, that could be the most dis- important deciding factor in our life and we just don't have the full picture so like that's why it's important to just like pray always and like ask him because he knows everything and we don't know if it's important to him or not and we don't know like he knows that it's important to us though and he loves us so he's gonna help us and uh, I think just the one thing that I have to remember is like yes you can ask for anything but it has to also be God's will you know, like if he's, if he's knows that that's the right thing for you too, you could literally ask for anything. And if it's the right thing, he will give it to you. Like if you have faith and you trust him and it's also his plan, you can like start using your imagination and start praying and asking for whatever it is that you need or want. And like, I think you'll be surprised. And I have been surprised so many times thinking, Oh, that was just a trivial thing, but he cared enough for it. He cared enough about me. He cared enough about the situation. And this <laughs> this might seem silly, but I have an example of it. And that was when I was when I when my mom was pregnant with me, she was reading a I think an article from our church, the Enzyme or something, and somebody had prayed that their daughter would have red hair. And she got a daughter with red hair. And she was like, wow, that's such, that was what I wanted. That's what I needed. And um, I think it aligned well also with Heavenly Father's plan for that daughter, for that mom, you know. But like, my mom was like, yeah, why can't I ask for a daughter with beautiful, that's beautiful, with straight hair and straight teeth. And just like, she basically described me and she said a prayer that she would have a do- that she would have a daughter like me and then i came and she said i was exactly like what she had prayed for and like anything could have happened right but i believe that that was a miracle and like with each of my kids i know this is going to sound weird but i did not want my first child to have brown hair I specifically, I, I heard that story about my mom doing that, and I specifically prayed for um, my son, who I knew was going to be a son, James. I prayed that he would have blonde hair like me because I just, I just wanted that. Which now I'm thinking it probably was like a memory from the preexistence, and it just felt right to me because I didn't really have a reason why I wanted a baby with blonde hair. I just did. I just did so badly. And then he came and he had blonde hair and it was the most adorable thing. And I've loved it ever since. And I just will never stop loving it. And I needed that. And I don't know why I needed that, but I needed that. And he like blessed me with that. And each child like after has given me something more that I've like needed in my life and has been such a blessing to me. And I just like, they seem trivial, like hair color seems trivial or like um, the shape of their face might seem trivial or 
their eye color might seem trivial, but like, it means a lot to me. And I just feel like eat with each kid. He's blessed me with exactly what I needed right when I needed it. So I think that he truly does care about like even the littlest things that we might think aren't good enough for him to care about, but he does because he loves us and we care about them, you know? Anyways, I just want to share that. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to Beach Theory today, guys. Yeah. To anyone who's still here, <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Yeah, thank you. We've got more coming. And if you made it to this point, let's make up a secret handshake so that if you see us in person, we'll know that you got to this point. Okay, the secret handshake is you have to watch this on YouTube. It's this. What is this? Oh. This. One oh. hand like this. One hand like this. Oh. And if you come up to us like this. We'll know. We'll know. <laughs> and with that, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Beach Theory out. Bye.